Welcome to How I Raised It, the podcast that goes behind the scenes with entrepreneurs who've raised capital. We uncover the tips, tricks, and techniques they use to get investors to write a check. Strap in and turn it up. Hi, welcome to another episode of How I Raised It, produced by Foundersuite.com. Today with me is Daniel Senyard of Shep, coming to us from Austin, Texas. How are you doing, Daniel? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me. So you're in Austin, and South by Southwest is going on right now. Is it uh, interactive? Is over? Are we into the? Is it the film or the music? What's what's going on right now? Yeah, they've kind of changed it where the the film sort of bleeds into both. Uh, so uh, interactive ended on Tuesday, and now we're kind of in music, but film films kind of perpetual <laughs> during South by at the moment. Interesting. So how was South by this year? We we've been the last three years as a company. We skipped it this year because we're going to New York instead, but was it a good, uh, how was South By this year? Yeah, South By was, um, it was interesting. It was very different. I've done South By for several years. My, my first company was in music tech, so we obviously had to have a big presence there. Um, so I've thrown parties, I've spoken on panels and such. And, and so this year I didn't want to try and burn myself out like I have in the past, trying to hit everything. So I was very, you know, strategic and, um, went to very specific things yeah. and I still kind of it's a little tricky when you when a conference is in your hometown because you still have dishes laundry wife kids dogs all that stuff um, so I do like you know going to New York for a conference because you can really dig in um, but yeah we, we had a kind of a, a cool thing actually happen on Monday we we happened to office at Capital Factory which is an accelerator and fund and um, I was up on my office and uh, on the fifth floor and I got a text message from my friend, Henry Yoshida. And um, so Henry texted me, said, Steve Huffman just mentioned you on, on stage. You know, they, they just brought up your company, Shep. You should text him or, you know, uh, reach out to him through Twitter and see if you can connect and discuss. Because he just said that, you know, um, starting a travel company was the hardest thing he'd done. And that was, he's kind of in the, the he, he was a co-founder of Hipmunk. Um, so I happened to be in the building, so I thought, you know, instead of just, you know, tweeting him, I'll run downstairs and try and give him a business card once all the crowds have dispersed. And um, the the founder of Capital Factory was actually the one who brought brought me up and said to, said to him, said to Steve when he mentioned travel, he said, well, we've got a company in our portfolio, Shep, you know, you and Daniel should trade war stories. So I came down and they, they kind of finished their kind of fireside style chat. And um, Josh Bayer, the Capital Factory founder, um, kind of cut the Q&A short and said, we've got about three more minutes left. But I see that Daniel, who I mentioned, has just walked in. So, you know, South By is all about these like chance encounters and taking advantage of the moment. So, Daniel, you've got 90 seconds. Come up and pitch Steve in person. So, you know, not not ready to roll. Uh, <laughs> I sort of, uh, you know, jumped up, went up onto stage, uh, sat down with Steve and gave him my, my kind of 90 second pitch about what Shep was, you know, and um, it went really well. I was, I was very pleasantly surprised, you know, afterwards he, he basically, he said, you know, I love the concept and he said, you know, I'm trying to grill you here, but uh, I think people are going to really love this. So like I, you know, I, I wouldn't say I nailed it. It wasn't my best elevator pitch, but, but I've done this for so many years. I've done so many pitches that you know, I felt comfortable just being able to be up there, be a little conversational and, and get through it. And, you know, I've now got a testimonial of, uh, you know, the, the founder of uh, 
Hitmonk and CEO of Reddit saying he, he loves what we're doing and you know loves the idea. And that's that, that then turned into a bit of uh, kind of a lot of press and stuff. So I've been running around doing press over the last couple of days. Yeah, that's cool. Hey, I love these these chance encounters, kind of seizing the opportunity. Yeah. So I'm going to put you on the spot. What is Shep? Give me your 90-second elevator pitch here. <laughs> um, so from a high level, what we do is we use data to create processes that increase trust and employee freedom. What that means in the travel space is we essentially help companies create a quick, easy travel policy, and then we uh, get a browser extension installed in the employees' uh, browsers, web browsers, that actually shows them what they're allowed to book at the time of booking. We've we literally put green boxes around the flights mm. and hotels that are compliant. Um, if they try and book something that's out of policy, we pop up a little modal and they can explain why. So maybe they need to be there by 10 o'clock for a meeting with X. That triggers a workflow, you know, Slack alerts and email. And uh, <clears throat> it's basically just creating visibility on both sides. I know what I'm allowed to book. You know what I did book. There's no last, you know, uh, up to this point, what would happen is I travel, you know, I book today, I travel two weeks later, a month later, I submit expense report, and then we've got a battle about reimbursement and such. So it's just kind of without putting people in a closed, clunky booking tool, um, you know, big enterprise tool, we're saying embrace open booking, let, let your team book where they want, but with some guardrails up and, and alerts going back and forth. That's interesting. That's pretty clever. Um, is it a... Uh a SaaS model? Are the the employers paying a monthly fee, or or the is the travel, you know, flights and airlines paying you a commission or something? Yeah, so we we basically have a freemium model uh, where we're able to monetize as an affiliate of a lot of these sites, so we can kind of support our free users. And then we're 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 still an early stage company, so that's kind of what what we just have in beta is our free model, and we're busy building out the pro model, which will include things like integration into Slack, so the alerts will go into Slack instead of email, uh, Expensify, kind of expense management integrations. So if if you want this existing in your workflow as opposed to a standalone product, then then it will be a SaaS model. That makes sense. Yeah, cool, um, great. And what, how long have you guys been around? When did you start this? Been around a little bit over a year. Okay, pretty yeah. new. And you're yeah. not, you don't sound like you're from Texas originally. How'd you end up no, in Texas? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I was born in South Africa. Um, British parents ended up in London for a while, met an American, bounced around from, you know, moved over to Austin after being in Seattle, Santa Barbara, lived in India for a little bit. So we've, we've kind of... But we've been in Austin now for 10 years, so it seems like home. Oh, wow. Yeah, you've seen a lot of changes then since uh, yeah. in Austin, 10 years. That's awesome. Absolutely. I love that town. I went to grad school there, finished up in 2002, so it's awesome. it's changed a lot since then even. Um, yeah. Awesome. So you let's talk about your fundraising. How much have you raised so far? And um, is it uh, friends and family, angels, VC? Tell me your, your yeah. So it's a little complex. It's a we raised 1.4 of seed funding, basically is what we're calling it. Um, but that was made up of three kind of increments. We we raised at the very beginning of last year. Um, we raised one point. Uh, so we raised 150,000 as a priced round, and that was a, a small friends and family round. Uh, and that that was actually interesting because I had raised um, and lost 400,000 dollars from an angel investor for my first startup, VivoGig, which was a music tech one. And 
You know, I was I was taught, you know, by Josh Bayer, the, the capital factory guy, he, he sort of said, you know, the, the first people you need to go to with your new deal is your old investors. If you've lost the money, the worst thing you can do is actually then become successful and not have them profit. They, they paid for your university, essentially. Um, you know, they, pay, they paid for your learnings. So I went back to this guy um, and, and we'd actually kept in touch. Like from the beginning, there was never any bad feelings or anything. So I just, even afterwards, and he told me he's out of tech investing. He's, you know, he's not doing it anymore. Um, we just kind of kept in touch. And I, I went and, you know, just had coffee with him and said, look, you know, I know you're not investing. I'm not asking you for money, but I would feel horrible if this actually goes and you don't get the opportunity. So he, three days later, I had a $150 check in my hand from him. And he said, I'm not investing in tech. I'm out. I'm not interested anymore. Um, but because of you, you know, and I've seen you grow and learn as a person, um, you know, I, I'm in. And so I think that really speaks to that, that relationship and that very maintaining being honest you know he he kind of trusts me with the money without really even you know grasping the idea and the same and, you know the, without any due diligence he was just like i i'll invest because it's you and no one else basically um, and then the next go ahead oh no i just gonna say that is very interesting it's sort of counterintuitive to go to investors who you've lost money in the past that's but I totally make sense it's i probably wouldn't have thought of that so that's interesting cool so yeah. That was 150. That was a priced round. You priced around at at 150. I mean, uh, you yeah, priced. yeah, yeah. That was one of those things where this was a guy that I'd gone back, you know, for years with. We were really close friends. Uh, he was sort of a, I guess, a bit of a father figure to me, you know, sort of in his in his 60s kind of thing. Um, and he just sort of said, "Yeah, I'll, I'll write you a check right here." Um, but I do want equity. He's not a big fan of convertible debts for whatever reason. And for him, because it was a relatively small round, we felt like we could use that money, really get a proof of concept um, out to demo we can then raise on and, and put enough time between that we can justify, you know, doing a, a note after that. Hmm. So he came in and Capital Factory, actually, I was a entrepreneur in residence between my last company that I was part of and this one. So they, they actually came in on that round as well. They put in 25K. So the, the round was actually, you know, closer to one, 175. Um, and then, then we sort of got a demo going. We were able to show people, go to Expedia, book like you were going on vacation, but you can see exactly what's in or out of policy. And, and then we raised a convertible note uh, round there that I can kind of get into the details of, but, but that included a lot of very strategic angel investors. Um, and we got up to, you know, the note was open up to 500. And that's another tip is my lawyers had written in that we were raising a seed round of 500 up to a million dollars at our discretion. Uh, the, the, at our discretion was very important because it meant if we were overcommitted, we could keep going um, instead of having to go and get approvals from all the note holders if you sort of capped yourself at, at the 500. So, so that was good. We got up to 460 and had an angel that had actually, oh, sorry, a fund, that a brand new fund called Moonshots Capital. They had been raising their um their their funds from their lps and weren't ready to invest and they they really loved what we were doing but they were just like look we're probably a series a you know for you guys and we got up to 460 and they made their first close and said hey we can write a check so i had 40,000 available in the initial the 500 or i could go up to you know 540 uh, but they, as a as a fund, kind of had a mandate that they were required to take a certain ownership stake, which meant they had to invest more. 
So they actually said, look, we need to invest 750 at X valuation. Um, so that essentially turned into a, a new round. So we kind of went from a convertible round on Thursday to a priced round on Friday. All the people who were in the note converted it. So that's why I say it's a little bit of a complicated uh, fund, you know, fundraise. Did, did, yeah, we actually, for Founders Week, it did almost the exact same thing. Started out raising okay. a note and then found a seed investor and it turned into a price round. Did you have to convince any of the angels to do a price deal instead of this note or was it, you know, or, or they automatically, no, you I mean, did they, the note and then converted Yeah, we the did note. the note. Yeah, we did the note, had cash in the bank and everything. Okay, gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah, we actually didn't finish the note. We just switched it to a price round. So I, I get you. So you did the note and then converted it. Um, that's interesting. So how how did you find these strategic angels? Let's dig into that a little bit. Were they all Texas people? Are they all just in the Austin Capital Factory ecosystem? Or did travel uh, absolutely people? Absolutely the opposite. Yeah, uh -huh. completely the opposite. I um I've been around, you know, uh, Austin. I've been fundraising for, you know, different capacities for a few years. And for a pre-launch company, I know that, you know, your sort of Austin standard is always going to be $3 million cap um, on a convertible note. That's, that's pretty standard. You'll, you'll, you won't get any pushback if, you, you know, and, and a lot of people try and push you down to that. And that seems to be kind of the standard across the angel syndicates here, some of the, the early stage funds. Um, and so I, I sort of, the, the way I, the way I went about it was I, I first got a early stage commitment from a strategic investor uh, from the kind of HR space and a kind of a commitment. But but at first I knew I wanted him. I I, I knew he did angel investing, but I brought brought him on as an advisor, and kind of we got to work together for a while, and that that worked really well. Um, you know he he liked what we were doing, and then I said, hey, we're about to start raising around would you mind doing a token investment? You know, I need a token commitment. You're a great advisor, you know, but, but it would be a good sign to the market. And so he, he agreed to that. And then I, I went up to Dallas, actually, because Dallas is, is great for travel because mm -hmm. there's American Airlines, uh, Sabre, you know, there's a lot of travel tech yeah. up there. And I met with, well, I reached out, sorry, first, I reached out to my friend who was at uh, Sabre. Oh, no, he was at Kayak, sorry. He was he was one of the early guys at Priceline, then acquired by Kayak, or acquired Kayak. He then did biz there for Kayak. Um, and so Brian said, I can connect you with some additional travel people. And I went to him. He was an advisor for the last company I was a part of, a company called TripChamp, and he'd been very helpful there. So I thought I need to run this by him, see if he thinks it's got legs. And he made this intro to... Uh, an investor in in Dallas from you know had been with American Airlines and had actually been the president of Travelosity Business. Mm. So I went to her, you know, in business travel, obviously. So I went to her and I said, "What do you think? I need your advice." And she she really liked it. And she started off by saying that she doesn't believe that people are going to invest in. And I, I've heard this quite a few times. People won't invest in small business travel management because. Trying to change behavior is really difficult. Trying to force, you know, these sort of clunky tools and trying to get them to pay until it's a really big problem. Typically, that's a million dollars in travel spend. Um, uh, but, you know, that, that's why she doesn't invest in the space. And when I showed her that you don't have to change behavior and we're able to do this for free because of the affiliate money, she really liked it. And so I asked her again, willing to do a token investment. And she's like, yeah, I think so. You know, I did a little bit of angel investing. So by that time, I only had, you know, 35K committed towards a 500 round. 
But then she opened up her network, and I met with the ex-CEO of Sabre, ex-CEO of Abacus, um, you know, people, angels all over the place who are mostly exes of things just because, you know, competitive issues. Um, but but by, by the time I actually got to Austin, I'd got a higher cap on my convertible notes. You know, I was at a 4.5 million. Um, so I got a higher cap than I would have gotten if I'd started there. Mm. I had incredibly strategic, well-connected uh, angels who had bought in at that valuation. And, and I basically went, went to them and said, hey, guys, here's the deal terms. Here's who's in. You know who wants to join, and and that really worked well because I wasn't having to. I wasn't going for my big money first. I went for my strategics, and and then was able to kind of bring in the the big money after that. And you know, Capital Factory had actually already committed a um, hundred thousand, and so you know because of I, I was the EIR, EIR there. Um, but that, that's kind of hard rolled. Was I, I had Capital Factory was like where whatever the valuation you guys get to set, we'll follow that. And, and then by the time I, I hit Austin, I had you know, probably 250,000 committed from a mix of Capital Factory and all these very strategic angels and was able to kind of get up to that 460 before Moonshots came in. No, that's cool. That's great. That's that's a really nice, granular detail, high visibility into into how you raised it. That's good. When you're asking these, first the advisor and then this woman for token investments, how much, you know, uh, natural response to the bit like how much are you thinking what's your yeah. what's your ask on a token investment because uh, i, I kind of like also, that strategy yeah yeah our, our uh you know and, and for me it was like you, this investment is a vote of confidence that's going to help with everything else you know you um but but it was basically our minimum raise was our minimum investment was 25k um I did dip slightly below that in a couple cases you know for for really strategic people but but for the most part it was 25k and up Great. Okay. And then let's talk about Capital Factory. They're an interesting entity. It's a, uh, it's like a shared workspace and then they have an, a separate venture fund. Is that correct? Or Yeah, it's also got a, an accelerator program. And so I, I started off with my, my first company, VivoGig, um, you know, as a mentee, you know, going through the, the accelerator program with my team where we got office space for a certain amount of time. You know, you, you've got office hours where angels and, you know, investors and press and all that sort of stuff come through and you schedule office hour sessions. Um, and, and so I've been through that, you know, this is the third time essentially as part of that being, being on the, the sort of uh, accelerator side. Um, but in the meantime, between TripChamp and Comply, sorry, between TripChamp and Shep, um, we we sort of, I, I reached out to Josh and I said, look, I'm looking to start something else. Um, are you open to me becoming an EIR? And, and that was great. I was able to sort of network with the other mentors that I'd gotten to know. And, and that, that for me is kind of why I went back was over the years, you know, I've gotten to know most of the investors, most of the you know advisors and such, and so it was sort of well networked. And so I kind of went from I'm now a guest, I'm well I'm now a mentor there as well. So you know some days I sit on one side of the table, other days I sit on the other and, and help newer companies. But but it's also yeah. you know it's office space, co-working, accelerator, and a fund. Okay, interesting. Yeah, that's a kind of an interesting hack being a mentor at a group like this to to build your investor network, right? That's, Absolutely. That's good. Um, this capital factory, what's their model in terms of investment? Do they follow on deals that other people set or do they ever lead 
an investment in startups? I can't really say if they're, they're 100% model. What, what they did with me was basically commit um, a certain amount of money and, and say, we will invest this, but we won't fund until you have the full round committed. So I was able to go and say, it's not money in the bank, but I have a commitment of 100K, but I have to raise the other four, I have to have the other 400K until they'll fund. Okay, so they'll do a kind of contingent commitment. We'll put in money once you raise. That's, that's not helpful, setting terms. Though. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, and again, that, that was that was me. I can't really speak to their their model. I know, I know they've kind of played with a few. They used to do a matching fund where if you could get two mentors or partners to invest, then they would match that up to, I think it was 25K. Um, they went away from that model a little bit. And I think they're making fewer, bigger bets. But, but you know, with... with um, I think with the model that, that they used with me, I, I was kind of a a, a, um, a guinea pig for that. And I don't know <laughs> if that's kind of the way they've kept it going. Yeah. In terms of if you were a, a founder in Austin wanting to raise money from Capital Factory, is it, you know, finding a way into Josh Bear or do they have a uh, investment committee or something? Or, you know, how do you kind of get in front of Capital Factory to, to try and negotiate? Yeah, so that they basically primarily invest in um, the accelerator companies. So it's really best to, to apply to the accelerator. Um, and then, then over the course of several months, you, you basically get to meet with Josh and the other partners and mentors. Um, you know, back in my day, in the, in the very beginning, you know, six, seven years ago, um, I had Josh as, as an advisor for my first company before I actually joined Capital Factory. Um, you know, Capital Factory is much smaller, one floor. Now it's layers and layers of, of people and experts, and they've got they've got a really good team there. And it now goes over three floors. Um, you know, they've had Obama, they've had you know such a Nadella, they've had uh, you know um, Tim Cook. Like it's kind of become the hub in Austin for if any press, investors, celebrities. You know, we've had all sorts of politicians, but they come through. That that's the place to be. So so for me, it's always been a natural, a good idea because. Maybe I can get an office space somewhere else for less, but I can't be s surrounded by all my investors, my advisors, my, you know, and have these opportunities like I, like I had with Steve Huffman um, kind of materialize. <laughs> Does he do any angel investing? <laughs> I don't know. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm trying, to, trying to get away to, to kind of chat to him about being an advisor. I mean, he would be fantastic, especially because Hipmunk is a consumer travel website uh, like the ones we map. And he sold it to Concur, which is a corporate travel website, like we are kind of in this realm of, which is sort of the down market from like a Concur, going after smaller companies. Yeah, interesting. So Let's yeah, talk... he knows both sides of that. Mm, yeah, for sure. Sounds really relevant. Um, what? Um... Let's talk about the Austin kind of funding scene. So Capital Factory, you know, it's got the accelerator, got the fund. What other... Um... What are, what else is casting a long shadow in Austin? And Austin Ventures is kind of – when I was there, ironically enough, going to business school, Austin Ventures had a seed program. And I think they killed that off. And then I think Austin Ventures isn't raising a new fund anymore, right? So No, they're, 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 not, uh, they're not active at all. And, and so when I started off you know, six years ago, I would go out to the, the Valley or New York and, and it was really difficult because if you didn't have Austin Ventures in your deal – um, and they didn't have a board seat, then other investors, they, they were a lot less, um, 
willing to invest out of their geographic areas at that time. And so Austin Ventures kind of made or broke your kind of raises, especially when you got Series A and beyond. Uh, it's actually been good since they broke up because a lot of their partners have kind of like spread out all over the place and are, um, you know, started their own seed funds and such. So, so now there's, there's actually more opportunity to raise, especially for smaller companies. And what we used to see was uh, companies would move out of us and once they needed to start looking at a B, um, that obviously technology and people's willingness to invest outside and willingness to travel seems to have opened up more. So we, we're starting to see, you know, companies raising bigger rounds here as well. We've had a few, few really big ones. Any any fun names come to mind, kind of new and emerging or rising star funds in in Austin? Well, you? yeah, I mean, I, I would say though, just to answer your original question, that that the other big big entity here, especially early stage, would be uh, CTAN, the Central Texas Angel Network. Um, they're actually the either the first or the second most active angel group in the entire U.S., which is uh, kind of a, a stat they hold very proudly. Um, you know, I, I actually went through that that program. We just kind of decided to to walk away because we were they they, they definitely are a little later stage. Like to see some revenue, and um, it's it's quite a process. It's it's a lot of due diligence, and I can see why the angels get involved because the group is diligencing, and you've got experts in different realms. But it's about a nine or ten week program to actually go through the whole thing, and so yeah. that that can be uh, take quite a strain on on what you're doing. Okay, good. So C10, that's good. Um, yeah. How about any any venture firms that come to mind or um yeah so so moonshots who led our round is fantastic um, you know it's 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 two guys are the the kind of two principals they're a growing fund um, and and very very founder friendly both founders sold multiple companies uh, one of the guys Kelly actually won uh, the apprentice season two so he's been uh yeah it's kind of funny watching all that gone on youtube you know when i was kind of diligencing them i kind of came across this which was kind of uh, interesting but yeah i mean they, they've between them have built and sold you know over 10 companies um the thing with them though is they are primarily veteran focused and and that was something that that was kind of nice for me was they invested in us and we do not have any veterans on our team but the way they think about the veterans is really it's a, um, it's a good indication of leadership. They sort mm -hmm. of said, you know, if you're a vet, you've been through, you've kind of got good, strong leadership principles. Um, but I, because I'd gotten to know them over the course of a year, they sort of said, look, based on the, some of the partnerships, the, the advisors, the investors you've built, there's clearly something here that, that looks like leadership. Um, you know, we, we're willing to kind of invest. And, and so their two priorities are like mobility and leadership because the the other partner Craig had sold Ride Scout to Daimler, and mm. so sort of in the travelish space, um, mobility. So we, we kind of loosely fit one, and um, you know the, 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 they just really like what we were doing, uh, and it sort of experienced Craig in particular when you know when he went to Daimler, experienced going from a small startup to a big company where they had to use tools like Concur, and you know travel became you know a big cumbersome thing to, to manage within the company and, and having to adopt those systems that when he saw our kind of very lightweight touch to doing this, um, he kind of got very excited. Okay, cool. Yeah. And then there's, there's live Oak ventures. I'm sure I'm going to miss this cause I, there's a new one opening every, every few months. Uh, ATX seed fund is another one. Um, who else? 
yeah, I'm, I'm kind of blanking because I, I sort of didn't didn't I wasn't intending on on going uh, institutional with this other than Capital Factory. Um, I just have been talking to Craig for so long that when when he came in, um, you know, I sort of believe in the Reed Hoffman kind of take more money than you need and uh, you know than you think you need. And so when when we had that offer, even though it was over the million dollar raise, um, it was great. Great investors, um, you know, with experience in building businesses. I had I had investors who had been in the industry but hadn't necessarily always been on the ground floor of creating a business yeah interesting good um <clears throat> so when will you raise again and will you stay in texas do you think do you have uh uh any thoughts on kind of future funding strategy yeah i mean we we will stay in texas um i believe we we sort of i have gone through the the whole startup of hiring young cheap scrappy talent and and that definitely takes you so far and that that can work um but you know my co-founders actually worked with me at at my last company and we'd all kind of gone our separate ways and come back so i, I knew they were they were a known entity um but you know most of us have you know a lot well not most but a lot of the team have kids and families and mortgages and such so so we do have a little more focus on work-life balance but but i think we get more done um, than maybe a younger team learning it on the on the fly. So we kind of have a good mix. Uh, we're not all, all uh, you know, <laughs> super vets, but but we definitely between the team we we kind of have people that are that are learning and people who've done it before. And I think that 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 sort of having that little bit more mature team means we are a little more set <laughs> in where we are. Interesting. Yeah, I find that to be too. I've got two little kids, and I'll work from. 8 a.m. till 7 p.m. Then I just shut it off for two hours yeah. and totally focus on the kids, and then sometimes go back to work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In bed. yeah, it's nice to have that hard stop, right? Um, good, good, good. Okay, Amy, but yeah, yes, we will. I, I do, I do anticipate raising a, a Series A uh, towards the end of the year. I'll sort of start hitting the road on that one. Yeah, cool. Um, Great. Well, you know, I think this covers a lot of good ground here. Any uh, any other pieces of advice for founders in Austin or Texas in general or, you know, anything you would give your younger self if you were doing this all over again? Yeah, I would say, um, you know, probably what I would tell myself would be really trust your gut. There were some investors that I spent an awfully long time with um, going back and forth and, and something just didn't feel right. And I just kept going for whatever reason. They weren't particularly strategic. Um, and and um, in the end, you know, it, it just got dragged out so long that I walked away. And that, that's one of the hardest things with this round was there were, there were two big opportunities, uh, very large check sizes that I just, um, it, wasn't, it wasn't the right fit. And I, I, I probably knew it at the beginning. Um, and it can take a lot of time going through all that that work, and often when you, if you get down to that due diligence, and and at the end of the road after several weeks, I ended up walking away and, and you know just trusting in myself that even though I don't have the round committed, I can get it elsewhere, and I don't have to take it in a in a way that may be detrimental to the company or you know just just it does, just doesn't feel right again. So so I think trusting my gut would be a big one. Yeah, it's good. Very good. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. This has been fun. And um, uh, I guess what's your call to action? Should people just check out uh, – what's the URL? Shep. Shep, sheptravel.com. Sheptravel.com. S-H-E-P travel.com. Yeah. And actually, uh, we are in a closed beta. 
But if you go to Product Hunt and look for us there, uh, and you go to the website link through that, that'll actually give people immediate access to get onboarded. And so, you know, we, we're targeting companies that are 50, well, no, I mean, any size company, some of our initial customers are, you know, five people. Anyone who wants to keep track, know what's going on, be able to save a bit on their, on their travel spend and have immediate visibility into who spent what, how much, where they're going to be, like on what date do you land, what flight are you going to be on. Um, it's pretty important instead of just knowing, well, you know, Tom's going to be in New York sometime next month. Uh, it kind of helps you plan a little bit as well. So, yeah. Interesting. We do, a, I guess, an informal version of, of what you do. Like last year when we, um, two of my marketing gals, Hilda and Helga are in Norway, and I said, if you can find a flight and accommodation for under a thousand bucks, we'll go to South by Southwest. So we give that <laughs> sort of, you know, figure it out any way you want. Take a boat, take a train, take a bus, take a camel. But if you can do travel and lodging for a thousand bucks, do it. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's that's enough for a smaller company. Like, you really don't need this sort of heavy, restrictive, you know, clamp down on, on your team. You know, if, if you – and I mean, we, we've got people, you know, teams up to 3,000 who are asking for access. They just don't want to, you know, they trust their team enough and they know that people are going to make relatively reasonable choices. They just want to put up some of those guidelines and, and get the analytics and tracking. And, and I mean, long term, we've already started talking to, to airlines and such where we can use our aggregated travel spend um, from all these companies to negotiate better rates. So so in the long term, and, mm. and we've got some of those in place already, we can actually get you better prices from the people you're already buying from um, by yourself. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Daniel. This has been great. And uh, we'll uh, I'll catch you next next. South by Southwest, all right? Well, yeah, we'll definitely. Hit me up when you get here. All right. Cool. Cheers. Thank, Thank you. you.